0: Hi, everybody. This is Matt Taylor, TV editor of the pop And this is and the winner still is the pop breaks Oscar retrospective podcast. I'm here as always with my co star co host. I don't know why I said star, but we're stars. <laughs> um, Marissa Carpico film editor of the pop Say hi, Marissa. Hello and this is our last episode of and the winner still is for this season we'll have more information about future seasons at the end of the episode but um we're talking about the 1951 oscars this is um a really interesting weird year with some like <laughs> just an, an odd little collection of best picture contenders so i'm happy to talk about it um really fast before we dive in some background on the proceedings um This ceremony was held March 20th, 1952. It was hosted by Danny Kay, who is a celebrity I know the name of, and I truly don't know anything that they've done, which is kind of funny. Like, are you familiar with Danny Kay?
1: He was like a dancer, sort of um, vaudevillian-y type guy, but later in that, so it was just a dancer-singer, you know, Hollywood type, basically.
0: Yeah, one of those. Um, And this was... The year that An American in Paris won, um, but some other films nominated, Streetcar Named Desire, Place in the Sun, some real, like, American classics. And we'll, let's just dive right into it. Um, An American in Paris, the m- musical, da- dance musical, I don't know. They should have some sort of word for, like, mainly dance-focused musicals. I might just be missing out on it. But um, the it's a, it's a musical starring... Um, I'm sorry, I'm totally naked. I almost said Humphrey Bogart and I'm like, that is not Gene, his name. <laughs> it's, uh,
1: it's Gene Kelly and, and Leslie Carroll.
0: I don't know how I forgot Gene Kelly's name. Yeah. But now I'm just <laughs> imagining it, Humphrey Bogart in this movie. Yeah, um, this just
1: became our very last podcast because that yeah. was that was deeply offensive.
0: God, I need someone to like who can mimic Humphrey Bogart better to sing some of these songs in his voice, because that would be great. Um This movie has a very, very loose plot, but it is um Essentially about an expatriate living in Paris who um has a bunch of friends that are musicians. Um he has this young love interest, um, who's in like he's in a the most polite love triangle ever with, basically. Um and there's a bunch of really great dancing and singing um throughout the thing, some really nice colors. Um it really paid a heavy influence to la, la and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um Marissa, what is your experience with An, an American in Paris?
1: Well, I think, I, I can't remember now if I've actually referenced the musical paper or, like, fully explained what that was. Um, but I watched this my senior year of, or no, junior year of um, college for a classical Hollywood cinema class. I was writing a final paper on musicals in the classical Hollywood period. Um, which is the invention of, of sound, um, you know, 1927 Ish, basically the jazz singer up to 1960, and this is one of them. Um, and I watched this one, of course, because it, you know, it won an Oscar for Best Picture. Um, and I love this one because it is the number one reason I say that a musical doesn't need to be, have a story to be good. Because who gives a shit? <laughs> there, most of these musicals have a pretty um, standard genre love story. It's the same kind of thing. You know what's going to happen. I mean, most most love stories. You know, you know exactly what's going to happen who cares when the production is this good? I mean, I always say there's a reason that, like, TCM uses that beautiful shot of um, from the ballet at the end of Gene Kelly and uh, holding Leslie Caron with all that, like, mist in the background or fog or whatever um, in its, like, intro to every movie. It's just, like, it's a beautiful film. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I am interested to hear what you... Yeah, like, I think... Definitely, the ending has a a lot of influence on um, on La La Land. Um, although I think there's another musical from that period that has even uh, just as much, actually. Um, but yeah, I love this movie. I showed it to a bunch of people um, for like years afterwards because I like went out and bought the DVD because it was cheap at the time and I was spending money wildly then. <laughs> um, um, and uh, yeah, it's still one of my favorite ones. Like I totally see watching it this time. I was like. Yeah, I could see where like you could want more plot from it, but like, who cares? Plot is cheap, in my opinion. So, <laughs> like, if if you can do a, a you know a 17 minute ballet that like basically you know resolves the plot and all of that dumb dialogue takes off place off screen, I'm fine with it. I have no problem with it. Um, but yeah, I think it's some of Gene Kelly's best work, and I love the. Um, I love the all the numbers. I think Stairway to Paradise is like, I, I just sort of hum that when I'm like doing nothing. And I, did you see the play on Broadway, by the way?
0: I didn't. I was going to bring that up because um, I remember, I watched it around the time that play was happening or like just before. And I was like, I'm psychic. And um, no, I haven't seen, it. I I weirdly could see it being very annoying on stage, but like, no. It was good. Interesting. Interesting.
1: No, it was incredible because it was like all this um, gorgeous dancing. They hired some really great ballet uh, dancers who could like also sing. Um, Because I mean, realistically, like. New York City is thick with those. They're they're everywhere. There's they're some, everywhere. <laughs> you know, there's like some aspiring musical kid like on every corner. They just went to like NYU and were like, "Hey, anybody want to be in this?" And like a hundred kids pushed each other over. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was great. You know, the worst thing about it was they tried to make it a more complex story, and the story was was the worst thing about it. <laughs> so like that's
0: interesting. Um, yeah,
1: like because they tried try to make one of the characters that like um, the uh, Adolf Green or whatever his name is. Um uh his one of his friends into they like had a they made him jewish or like more overtly jewish and then sort of had a, a sort of holocaust um oh, wow. strain but like didn't dig into it and i was like i mean if you're gonna do that you should like commit you know yeah that feels <laughs> like
0: something you can't just like kind of half-ass <laughs> it, like it was
1: uh, it was a bad move, and I was like, "See, I was right. This doesn't need a story." <laughs>
0: <laughs> My Broadway crush Brandon Uranowitz was in it, and I was like, oh, "I should have seen it because he's a cutie," but <laughs> I did not go. <laughs> um, oh, that's fascinating. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen, honestly. Oh, interesting. We're going to talk about like just we should just talk about Broadway musicals. Maybe. Like a lot that should be this <laughs> this podcast. We're going to pivot. Um, no, um, do you have any other thoughts before I dive into mine? Or
1: um, I mean. No, I think you should start and then we'll and then we'll dive in because I have I have tons to say.
0: You have tons of thoughts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um no, I watched this for the first time in twenty fourteen. Like I watched most of the best picture winners made before like nineteen fifty because I just hadn't watched them. Um this was fifty one obviously, but like yeah yeah the yeah the gist. <laughs> and um yeah, I um I have like, this weird thing. I always liked musicals, like we talked about my theater camp years on this podcast. But um I always gravitated more towards like modern like rock opera musicals like rent a spring awakening like the real emo ones and um i always like thought i wouldn't really enjoy old school musicals and i avoided them for a while and um some of the ones from this era are truly lost on me i'm like dreading when we get to the gg episode of this podcast <laughs> but it's
1: uh, one of the worst musicals of all time and i fully agree with you on that
0: so bad <laughs> um but like so i was i didn't know what to expect with this one and, um, even though I was a little optimistic because I love Singing in the Rain. So, mm-hmm. um, I. it's an interesting movie. I remember liking it a lot back when I watched it for the first time. Um, definitely noticing how little story there was, but still enjoying it quite a bit. Um, the dancing is amazing. Like, the, it's like, it's, it's really it's worth watching for that reason alone. But, yeah. um,
1: you, you could easily argue that this is possibly the greatest dancing musical of all of time. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. I was going to say, like, I think this is probably the best dancing at the very least ever put to film. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, it's really incredible. I mean, some of the sequences, we'll talk about some of the specific sequences. Like, it's not just good choreography. It's like such good character building through dancing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's absolutely fascinating. Um, one of my favorite sequences is when the um, the Parisian character is describing his fiance to the other characters. And, like, with each new behavioral trait, like, she does a new dance. And it's, like, really <laughs> thrilling, actually. It's, like, a great moment. Um, and the whole ballet at the end is incredible. Like, there's so many great dance moments. Um, I hadn't thought about it, though, ever since I watched it back in, um, like, 2013, 2014 and watching it again um i still i literally just watched it like less than 2 hours ago <laughs> um i still really i still really enjoy it i was like i was wondering how i would like feel a few years removed and it it's held up really well in my mind i think it's really fun um again like most of the dance sequences that i remember were the ones that like stuck out the stairway to heaven is like um Stay away to Heaven or Stay Way to Paradise. <laughs> stay away to Paradise. Okay. Stay away to Heaven is another song. <laughs> but um God. I'm I'm tired, people. It's been a week. Um the um that that sequence is phenomenal. Um like some of them I found a little cloying and like a, like the one with the kids kind of gets on my nerves a little bit because I just don't like kids (laughs) but um
1: well the other thing that's weird about that one is that um it's a number that's like talking about Germany or that is that that one or is there's a there's a later one maybe but there's like one where they're basically talking about waltzes you know oh yeah and like and they're they're doing making a lot of references to Germany specifically and I'm like can you imagine the gall of talking about like saying anything nice about Germany in Paris in 1951, like, that's the only unbelievable thing in the whole movie to me. <laughs>
0: no, yeah, it's... The whole movie takes place in a fairy tale, fairy tale basically.
1: Yeah. But um, <laughs> None of the sets are
0: real. <laughs> no, it, it, it shows. But it's kind of the charm of it. Like, it is yeah. funny. I weirdly... As much as it's easy to point out, like, this movie has no story, I don't think it needs a story. It's like, if they really tried with the story, I think it would have been, like... A very annoying movie weirdly enough um their love triangle in it loves like quadrilateral basically <laughs> um yeah. it like is just bare enough to work because if they actually gave these characters any real personality traits i don't think it would be nearly as interesting um yeah. and instead it's just like they are these ideas of people and you're like oh, okay i guess Everyone's involved is really good looking. I guess it makes sense they would all want to like date. And um,
1: (laughs) so it's exactly it. It's exactly because that's what's so appealing about it to me is that it's like it's the romance genre and the musical genre in its most efficient and purest form. In that it's like we're going to give you just enough story. And then we are literally going to resolve that story off screen during the 17 minute ballet. And then the minute like it ends with that ballet and then literally there are there's no dialogue after that after the ballet they just look at each other clearly Leslie Caron and um and Henri the um by who's played by George Gouty, G- G- I don't actually don't know how to say it like Guitary or something like that um they like talk off screen and like resolve and he, she clearly is like I love him I love you Kelly sorry about it and he's like okay sure and then he just like he drives her back and he's like smiling at Gene Kelly at the end it's like great Three mature adults. Fantastic. Wonderful. Like, I'm glad. <laughs> like, who cares?
0: It's so civil. Like, they're all just so, like, nice about it all. It's 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 really lovely. I wish more movies were like that. Right. Um, no. Um, yeah, it's like it, I don't think you need a plot. That, like, the, the subplot added to the play sounds like it could have been very rough. Because
1: yeah. um, they try to, like, I think that it's the Oscar Levant character, so they, like, I, they change him his name from, like, Adam Cook to whatever. And then they sort of heighten the love quadrangle, or, you know, square a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, she's never really in love with him. I think she's just sorry for him in a way. You know what I mean? It's it's weird. It didn't work for me. Like, it just doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Oh, that, that, that sounds just like, I don't know, whenever adapting films to Broadway, which I usually hate when they do, um, yeah. you can, like, some of the plot changes just sound like odd ideas that like you can you can see the thought but mm-hmm. like you're like Ugh, don't do it it's just like there's a reason the movie works yeah and no i,
1: I think yeah. you're you're right you're though if it had more thought it would wouldn't work but it threads a needle of being completely fun and interesting without actually having any depth
0: and it's just the right length, like, just in the mm-hmm. two hours. If it was any longer, I think it would have been a little tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just, like, very well made. Um, I don't know how often I would watch rewatch it. Like, it's not the type of, Like, If I had to pick a Gene Kelly film to watch, I would go with Singing in the Rain. Just because I think it has, like, the great comedic elements, even though that is also a film where the story is, like, complete nonsense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, But, like... No, like I think it's a very fun movie. it like I'd love to see it on the big screen like have you ever seen it on like um at like a theater?
1: um I think I watched it with a friend a couple years ago on a big screen and it was like I mean it's magical, you know yeah. I mean that the ballet is spectacular and like stairway to Paradise is so good for like, cause for those who have haven't seen it, it's like he literally <laughs> walks up a stairway because it's like he's in a stage show the the French character Henri he like He's in a stage show for whatever reason because he's also a performer musician like everyone else. And oddly enough, Gene Kelly is not a performer musician technically, and he's a painter. Um, but he he sings Stairway to Paradise, and he walks upstairs. And, like, the banisters are made of women <laughs> and, like <laughs> in, like, crazy outfits. And then um, – And then the stairway lights up every time he hits a new stair. It's like fucking incredible. Which was annoying that they actually did not build a big staircase for the Broadway show because I was I was prepared for a a very large staircase.
0: (laughs) It weirdly reminded me of the scene in Smash with the Angel um, musical that Ivy's in in the staircase. Do you (laughs) know? (laughs) Yeah,
1: I'm sure that's what they're referencing. (laughs) I'm
0: sure god i cannot wait for our smash podcast that we will inevitably have to do when mm-hmm. the show turns 10 um mm-hmm. god no smash is great american paris is american in paris is great um let's talk about modern musicals that were um like and just about, let's talk about modern musicals in general they're having a comeback um there's some weird plays are being adapted into films you were having cats this year um there was like Things like The Greatest Showman, which was like a massive success, even though I weirdly haven't seen it still. And um, I've <gasps> circus never musical
1: seen it. Is, it. Honestly, Circus Musical, that's what I call it, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's
0: a better title. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Richard Lawson called that that for years. And I was like, so I just call it Circus Musical. But Circus Musical is actually a really good thing to watch in tandem with this because it is also utterly devoid of thought and like all of the sort of like... Um, Uh, like, it kind of co-opts this, like, misfit, outsider um, message of, like, you know, you're you're special no matter what kind of thing, despite what people say, um, and then doesn't actually do anything with it. (laughs) And it also, like, questions race and stuff, but also doesn't do anything with it. But it has what is one of my favorite musical numbers of, like, all time. Um, It's the uh, Zac Efron Zendaya um, trapeze number. It's fucking incredible. (laughs) But, like, that similarly has no discernible story <laughs> and like and does all all plot work through mus- musical numbers. It's incredible. That's like it sounds like I might get
0: some enjoyment out of it. I like basically everyone in the cast. But like my, I hate every song I've heard from it. It is like truly some of the worst songs I've ever had to listen to. Like, and I'm just like, I, do I want this? Like, do I want to listen to this?
1: Unfortunately, Pesek and Paul are are. Um are kind of hacks. I think in I think in about 20 years, we're going to look at them the, the same way that we look at Andrew Lloyd Webber. Although, as George said in our last episode, he's still a, an ALW stan, so who knows? Yeah, I was uh, listening
0: to our episode again, and I heard him say that, and I just like fully cringed, and I was like, what?
1: <laughs> like, if, uh, truly, if we had had more t- time, I would have wanted to unpack that, but I was like, this is not that podcast. Sorry, George, if you're listening.
0: <laughs> God, no, nah, Andrew Lloyd Webber, nope, canceled. Um, but and also the two of the two annoying men who wrote greatest showman and, la- and the music for la la land i don't know i don't benji and paul Pasick uh, or whatever
1: yeah um, benj benj passek uh, it's Pasick and paul or something like yeah i think it's benj Pasick and something like paul i'm not gonna learn their name no so i'm not either. i don't care <laughs>
0: they are hacks they're canceled too their best play is dogfight um but um so like speaking of their work La La Land. La La Land is definitely the film that is like most clearly inspired by this. Along with um uh, umbrellas at Cherbourg, Cher- uh, Cherbourg, yeah. Cherbourg. We do
1: Cherbourg and then I also think that the the number that's on the poster, you know, with the on top of the Hollywood Hills or whatever where they're mm-hmm. the sunsets happening, that's absolutely a reference to um a there's a scene in you Ever Seen the Bandwagon? No. Oh my God! That's that and Singing of the Rain are the two musicals that people argue are probably the best two best musicals, or, or possibly the best musical of of uh, the classical Hollywood period. Like people say either one or either one or the other, mm-hmm. um, and it's got a number where uh, Sid Sharice and um, and Fred Astaire are completely silent and they're walking through Central Park and then they do the dance number and, and fall in love. And she's wearing white. It's – honestly, the setup is exactly the same. Like, <laughs> er, the first time I saw it, I was like, this is that bandwagon number. <laughs> that's,
0: like I, – I, I'm very curious to watch that because that's actually my favorite part of La La Land in general, <laughs> that that whole scene. Um, but, like, that's a shit on La La Land. I think La La Land's a good movie. There's a difference, though, between what La La Land's doing and – And American in Paris and these, these golden age Hollywood films, there's such like a, a self-consciousness, I think. Do you like, even like, you know, Damien Chazelle I think has much more of a passion than most directors doing modern musicals. Like my, my big problem with a lot of modern musicals is just, you can very clearly tell, especially when a straight man directs it. Like there's such like this like apprehension of like, like, I know it's a musical, but like, go with me on this. (laughs) And, um,
1: I, I actually think he has least shame of of the guys doing those lately. He does, I yeah. think mm-hmm. I think the one that's most indicative is like Miz, which is clearly wants to be a heavy drama but is um, bad.
0: Yeah, which is sucks. Uh, I, I love that that musical.
1: Yeah, and like Into the Woods has that kind of same problem. Realistically, even though I think it's, I honestly think it's a little more watchable than Les Miz. I mean, I think Les Miz is terrible, but um, yeah. And I, you know, the thing about those movies is that. A, it's the sort of misogynistic, misogynistic embarrassment of musicals, but it's also um, they're all postmodern in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, they, especially La Land, is so aware of history, like movie history, so it's constantly referencing them, and that's that's one of the things I liked about it. Um, and a lot of my friends who are like really big musical movie musical fans liked about it, um, and then people who are not as big fans of movie music, musicals didn't like it as much. And I was like, well, I totally get that, like. It's it's not played for you. It's not it's not actually a very good musical on its own necessarily. Let's say it is very much about the way it's referencing fifteen mm-hmm. other musicals in every single moment. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, and it's interesting watching an American in Paris. Actually, I kind of had a better understanding of what didn't work yeah. for me about La La Land, and this is purely <laughs> like um, I I do like La La Land. Like I'm not one of those people that shits <laughs> on it, but I've I realized the problem with it. I think for me is that. It has, like we talked about, too much story. And, like, I don't Mm – I wish it was really just the very simple, like, we have these two charismatic actors who have insane amounts of chemistry that, like, let's just watch them fall in love and then, spoiler alert, not get together. And, like, I find that much more interesting. And I wish, in a weird way, he had um, less subconscious with those scenes because I think that would have made the movie work more. And I wish just more movie musicals in general these days had that. And I just don't think anyone's bringing that. Except for yes. Mamma Mia.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mamma Mia is a perfect example of, like, it really harkens back to the shit of, like, the plot is paper thin and none of it makes any sense. What year is it taking place in? How <laughs> old is everybody? Like, what is happening? It makes, it's a completely imaginary world. But the thing about those, uh, the, I, I don't, I don't, I disown the first one, but the second one understands none of that shit really matters. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the problem with these guys we're making them now is that, like. And Gene Kelly understood this on some level. And so did Fred Astaire and all these, these people from back in the day. Like, they understood, like, that shit doesn't matter. People just want to come to the movies and see a spectacle. Mm-hmm. They don't give a shit. Like, you can hang a lot on a very thin frame. Like, realistically, the thing about this movie is, too, like, uh, American Paris, too, is that you have to remember, none of these songs are original. They're, they're reuses from mm-hmm. other musicals that they already played or that were on Broadway. Like, this is just stuff that's already been done. Like, but nobody cares because the point is the spectacle. Like, it's not style over substance. The style is the substance. You know what I'm saying?
0: No, that's exactly, like, a really beautifully – put, a beautiful way of putting it. Um, like, um, I don't know. I I don't know, truthfully, how many of our modern musicals on Broadway – you'd be able to adapt in that way. Like I feel like Broadway itself has kind of moved into a more postmodern world with musicals where we're having more like gritty experimental stuff. But I would love to see more just like fully embracing that, that it's a musical um, and just owning it and being like, you know, musicals can be inherently campy um, mm-hmm. because people are just breaking down the song, just own it. Like the two musicals I most want to see adapted into a film which i have full pitches for with casts hollywood call me um (laughs) like i want company um the gender bent version with a female bobby and um falsettos um as movies and those are movies that like if done in a self-conscious way like would be awful because they're like sung through and um like the music's not exactly like stuff you'd like walk around to listening in your day to day life, but like it would totally work on film and I just like I wish we had more of that. I like yeah. I think that's the type of musicals that I think in this revival of musicals we're living through we need. Like I'm dreading whatever cats is gonna be because I like that's yeah. gonna be done in a conscious way and <laughs> it's gonna be unwatchable.
1: I <laughs> I'm already like I'm gonna get I'm gonna start therapy after that movie like for real it's I just don't think I'm gonna recover from cats. Um, I can't wait for yeah, Twitter I'm...
0: when they do the first photo of the cats. Oh, they <laughs> don't want to see it.
1: It's gonna be so bad. They're like they're they're life size. It's horrible.
0: <laughs> God, I can't wait. Um, Defend that one, George. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wow, poor George. I feel like you know, wrapping up this season, we've called out George more times than anyone on this podcast, and we we should have him on more just because of he, he needs to be able to defend himself.
0: I know we'll we'll have like this special like After Dark episode where we just like have George defend himself and his hot takes. Um, we'll have more t- chances to discuss this movie as we move on. Do you have any other last minute notes on An American Paris before we move on to the other Best Fiction nominees?
1: Yeah, I did have one thing. Um, It it should be fairly quick, but um, the one thing that didn't work for me now that I didn't, I guess I just didn't notice then, which is very upsetting considering I didn't watch it that long ago, um, is that Gene Kelly's character is kind of an asshole uh, (laughs) in that he's a bit of a misogynist pig. Like, He has that beautiful older woman who just wants to like Basically help his career as a painter and like, you know, ask him to sleep with her every once in a while. And he's like so upset about being in a submissive role in that relationship that he just like can't handle it. And it's just, oh, it pisses me off so much. And it's like, I don't know. I That's the only thing that didn't work for me. And like, it, it just it was such a, I don't know, encapsulation of like, Ugh boys are gross like he wants this like 19 year old girl who like gene kelly discovered basically and put in this film Mm -hmm. like she gene Gene kelly is like 30 and i think he's like 35 or something and she's like 19 so it's fucking weird and like i don't it's just there's things that just don't work about it but i i don't know i uh, that's my my one thing that didn't work for me honestly
0: there's that scene when he courts the 19-year-old, who I will say, um, I did not know she was 19 until after I watched the film this second time. And mm-hmm. I was reading Inside Oscar, and I was like, oh, shit, she's that young? Um, yeah. Like, it didn't strike me as creepy in the moment. But this scene did strike me, strike me as creepy. Just the whole ex- extended sequence of him hitting on her is like... I, like, I know these movies are old and you have to approach them with a certain mindset, but I was just like, oh, my God, like, this is like a good nightmare of him just like basically forcing his way into a dance with her, getting her number through sketchy means and then finding her at work. And I'm like, yikes, <laughs> like the heterosexuality, heterosexuality is a prison. That's all I have to say about, <laughs> about that.
1: <laughs> it 100 percent is. Yeah. Yeah, it is.
0: God, Um, but you know, great movie otherwise.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, truly it's great except for that one thing that that just has not aged well and really didn't, I didn't notice until this this watch, oddly enough.
0: Yeah, I mean, I watched it the first time in 2013 and granted, I mean, the world was was so different in 2013, but like I, it did not register for me either at that time. It was like, oh, that's something new that I did not think was like in this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. God, well, let's move on to some of the other Best Picture nominees. There's so much to talk about with most of them, but we're going to start with the one that I truly struggled to find, like, to think of talking points for, so maybe you can help me out. <laughs> um, <laughs> this movie is Decision Before Dawn, which is a World War II drama based on true events um, about German sold, like Nazis in World War II who, um, near the end of World War II, World War II joined america as spies um ac- ac- across enemy lines and played a big part in you know fully ending the war but they were nazis <laughs> like regardless mm-hmm. of, <laughs> of of like <laughs> like what they did um so yeah um marissa what's your relationship with de- de- decision before dawn
1: i watched it i think the day the same day as wilson um what
0: a day uh, my beloved
1: my beloved wilson <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the whole time I was like, mm, this, this ain't it. Cause it's just, I mean, we talked about this in, when we were talking about the pianist of the last episode, it's just not, um, possible to sympathize that much with Nazis in this, in this day and age. It's just hard. I, you know, like, I don't care. I, I know there are good people, but like, I just don't want to watch that right now. Like, it's just not, it just makes me queasy. And this, I, the only compliment I have for it is that the cinematography is, incredible it's black and white and it's just gorgeous but that's the only nice thing i have to say about and really the only thing i have to say about it, other than like it's tough to watch
0: yeah no it's gorgeous gorgeous looking movie but i completely agree um i was watching it the whole time and i'm just like okay but they're nazis (laughs) like like it's like and i mean it's like they waited until they were about to lose to be like uh, maybe i should be a spy (laughs) like it's like (laughs) i'm like you know don't get me wrong; they played a great they, they, they played a role in helping to end the war. So it's like okay, but we were going to win anyway. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like I don't know. It's you know, movies about sympathizing, <laughs> like trying to make Nazi sympathetic, is not good. And yeah. I'm sort of I don't know. I don't know if I'm shocked that this came out so soon after World War One, World War Two ended, because I'm kind of like were people. That were audiences at the time ready to sympathize with like, like, quote unquote the good Nazis, but um, like I don't know I like, I just found it so odd like such an odd movie and yeah like years removed from now I'm like years removed from the release date I'm like God I'm like there are still Nazis and <laughs> it's terrible the world's on fire <laughs> um, like just a very odd movie to watch um, gorgeous to look at though yeah. I liked the human elements to it with like the scenes of them talking to civilians in Germany, um, where you got little glimpses of what life might've been like, must've been like for people that weren't Nazis living in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but even it's so few and like far between where it's yeah. like, I kind of just sat there. And I'm like, uh, eh, this is a weird movie.
1: That's um, what's so queasy about it is that it, it is quite effective in its personal dramas. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. It's, I don't know. It reminded me a lot, and like this is a tired comparison, but it warrants being mentioned. It reminds me a lot of Green Book. Of like, I'm like, I mean, granted, what's his name, Viggo Mortensen's character is not a Nazi, but he is a racist, and um, like, I'm just, I'm, I don't know if you could ever make that narrative work. Of like, here's a terrible person who is going to redeem themselves in some way by the end of the movie. I'm like, I don't know. I don't want it to be like this happy thing.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: decision before dawn. Ready to never talk about it ever again. Never think about it. Never watch it again. Um, do you have anything else to say, or should we move on?
1: No, let's let's. Are we going to do the other one we hate?
0: <laughs> yes, we are. But I actually have things to talk about with this one.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, more <so. laughs> <laughs> to talk about. Um, this is. Okay. Um, I think it's called, pronounced Quo Vadis. Is that? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I was like, that makes sense, right? Um yeah. Quo Vadis. This <laughs> yeah. is the um, three-hour-long epic about um, Nero and the way he persecuted Christians um, shortly after Jesus' death um, and resurrection. Um, it's, it's not very good. Um, Marissa, what are your thoughts on Quo Vadis? <laughs>
1: Hateful. It's hateful. Um mm-hmm. it's misogynistic. It feels like propaganda for like oddly enough of Christianity, which like also in this day and age feels a little too familiar and also a little too like, oh, this was gonna turn bad in a couple years. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I mean, not even just like in our time. I mean like, oh yeah, like um literally uh here come the crusades, I guess. Like yeah, I don't know. It was just um it just was not fun to watch. And, and it's so misogynistic, like, in a way that's almost unbelievable. Like,
0: there are oh, a couple yeah. movies
1: this year that, like, wow, men used to be held to different standards in the mid-century. And, boy, masculinity is, is a disease. Like,
0: it's so <laughs> It really is.
1: <laughs> like, Robert Taylor is so horrible to Deborah Kerr. In, for, from the second they meet, like, he's just so leering and gross. It feels like a Me Too nightmare on screen. Like, I like I just can't imagine Deborah Kerr not feeling gross after it. You know what I'm saying?
0: Oh, yeah. No, it's, like, it's kind of surreal. It, again, talking about, like, characters who get very odd redemption arcs. He, like, he, he's, like, like, openly talking about, like, just, like, trying to buy her. And he's, like, so cruel to her. He basically does buy her. And, <laughs> um... Like I don't know. Like she's like weeping, and he makes some like a weird joke about like, "Don't cry, we're getting married." And it's like, it's it's a gross movie. And then of course there's the um, there's Nero's wife who's just like a cartoon of yeah. like, like the conniving vamp woman and everything like that. It's it's. She really could have been ugly. played
1: by a snake, and it would have been the same thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
0: In the Disney version, she would have been a snake. <laughs>
1: oh man um i will say the only thing i liked about it was the the fall of rome like the burning of rome sequence near the end is really good like Mm -hmm. and also a lot of the end section feels like um like an influence on gladiator you know what i mean
0: oh yeah completely
1: yeah um but otherwise i was just like so glad when it was over it was i watched this one early on tcm and i was like oh my god i would literally rather be doing anything else in the whole world it just brutal it's brutal (laughs)
0: yeah no i basically agree i watched it a few days ago and it was the longest three hours of my um of my life i actually paused it at one point (laughs) to watch pose on fx and when pose ended i was like oh my god i have to go back and watch like the third hour of this movie um now it's like sword and sandal epics do not work for me on some level um Mm. Even the ones that, like... like I don't think people really talk about Kovatis anymore. I don't think it's really, like, remembered very fondly. But, like, even the ones that <clears throat> are really well-remembered, I've seen and I'm like, eh, I don't really care. Um, yeah. And um, the homoeroticism that a lot of people throw onto them, I always find kind of, like, more, like, gross and tacky, with some exceptions. Yeah. Um, like, I think um, the... The character of Nero in this, who is clearly quoted as um quoted as queer by um Peter Yustin, uh Ustinov, um it is such a offensive and just like not even like good performance. Like it is camp in all the wrong ways, and he just is like, you know, totally uninterested in his wife, wants to like sing songs for like his the people, the people, his subjects around him and everything. And it's, like, an embarrassing performance and just, like, not remotely interesting. Um, it, like, there's so many other better queer-coded movies from the 50s. We'll talk about one later. Um, but, um, yeah, I just found this movie really gross and hateful, like you said. Um, I actually want to unpack one part of the hatefulness that I wrote mm. in my notes. Um, mm. The ending, the, like, the last hour, essentially, when the um, the Christians are persecuted those scenes were weird right like i felt deeply uncomfortable watching them
1: yeah i mean you know what it is i think the thing that was interesting to me about that was like it almost is like the point of the movie is unintentionally to almost like question would christianity have lasted if it hadn't been persecuted this hard you know what i'm saying Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting point. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's intentional, but, like, that's what I kept thinking of was, like, maybe it would have just died out if they hadn't, like, literally crucified people, like, afterwards. And, like, thrown them in a fucking gladiator pit or whatever Mm. to, and, like, release lions at them. Like, I just don't... You gotta wonder. (laughs) And I I don't think that's the movie's point. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. It's weird to, like... Again, because it's hard to watch that and be like, yeah, like Christianity won, um, given what happens historically. And also you have to think about it in the context of the time period, because Christianity became the reason it is something we talk about as being part of America now. It's not actually true of like history. It happened in the 50s and 60s, largely because of the Red Scare. It was a reaction, the way we distinguished ourselves from from uh the russians was that we were heavily christian and not not like catholic or orthodox you know catholic or russian catholic or whatever anything like that but we were a protestant nation and that's the way people began to characterize the u.s in the middle of that of -hmm. the century like um i mean i mentioned it in my review of that um uh, hail satan movie but the reason like ten commandment statues show up around the country and like are so now defended now in front of like legislatures and stuff that was a marketing thing from the 10 commandments movie like chuck heston went around the country and dropped those around (laughs) in order to like these fucking granite (laughs) 10 commandment statues so like that's what this movie is speaking to in a way of like yeah christianity won and now it's like fueling america or whatever but like it's we're we're in a sort of you know god is dead present now so it just it felt really queasy that's part of what makes it feel so queasy you know what I mean
0: yeah absolutely it's like it feels very much made it reminded me weirdly enough I don't know if these were big um, like deals in your orbit when they came out but like as someone who had a lot of friends in Catholic school in high school I definitely knew about them like it reminded me a lot of the films made a few years ago by Kirk Cameron, like, Fireproof, and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the the cop one that's basically the same plot, that I can't think of I haven't
1: of. seen those, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: Right, it's, like, these movies that are essentially just, like, propaganda of, like, yeah. for Christians to be, like, your values are under attack, and, um, like, these movies are here to inspire you. Actually, like, a better comparison is, like, the God's Not Dead trilogy, which, like, genuinely made money, <laughs> money at the box office. Um... And it's like, you know, there's a level of grossness to it. I also found the torture scenes so gross in that, like, the movie's best quality is its spectacle. Like, the sets, the burning Mm -hmm. of Rome scene, like we talked about. Um, So, like, on one level, the technical skill behind... Filming the scene with the lions, or the scene with the bull, or the um, even the crucifixion scene—like there's something exciting about it. But then I was just so grossed out by the fact that it's like they were weirdly violent for like a movie from the '50s, and it like that juxtaposition of like the spectacle tone, but also like the detailed violence. I was like, this movie just makes me feel genuinely weird and uncomfortable. I don't know how you're supposed to react to it. I can only even like somewhat imagine how audiences reacted to it then i like it got compared to gone with the wind a lot at the time and i imagine it was like this like this fire inside them of like this is outrageous but also there's something like those are action scenes and i just i find it so strange do you know what i mean
1: (laughs) yeah well they try to market it as being like you know uh, it'll be the biggest movie since um since gone with the wind but like it it wasn't realistically but and it, it doesn't deserve to be it's not very good
0: yeah, it's. I saw one review in on Wikipedia that was like someone at the time I do not remember who was like it. It's up there with Gone with the Wind and Birth of a Nation as like technical achievements, and I was like, yikes, <laughs> what, <laughs> what a trilogy, <laughs> girl! LOL. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's a it's a weird movie. Um, one other thing I was just I, I find fascinating. We're talking about musicals being brought into today. Do you think there's any room for like these short and sandal movies left because you have films like Gladiator and um like and Pasha of the Christ which were such big hits and I at the very least Gladiator is remembered very fondly. Um Well, but, I mean yeah.
1: Gladiator is actually starting to get a little a little uh, a little shade now. Like people are starting to turn on it, which I find weird because I think it holds up. But Yeah, not this not this podcast. I will not never turn on Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I mean um I don't think so. I Like, the reason um, Passion of the Christ made so much money was that, like, it, it essentially ignited the Christianity ca- crowd that that now, you know, gets movies all the time. With, like, that um, that movie with uh, the girl from uh, – what's it called? Um, the family show that I always rag on. Um, oh. oh. Chrissy, the Chrissy, yeah, the Chrissy Metz movie, you know? Where the kid like, in the coma, yeah. Yeah, the kid in the coma. Um, like, this is the reason that – that genre essentially starts is passion of the Christ. But like, i actually don't think so. Like, I think people aren't into that, that kind of pacing and those kind of stories. I mean, technically we already have them, but it's the Marvel movies.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. Which is like, I do sort of weirdly miss those like sword and sandal movies. Like, um, I would love to see if like genuine filmmakers were going to something interesting with it um but you know i just i think the chip is still they're so expensive these days people don't seem interested we're gonna we need like marvel to basically set a comic book movie in that era i guess thor Ragnarok was the closest we'd get yeah i
1: mean i mean technically they're already making them they're just they're wearing different clothes i mean like mm-hmm. you know thor's got a cape it's all the same
0: yeah god <laughs> uh um i'll just watch gladiator we're getting a gladiator sequel so we have that <laughs> which i think is a god-awful idea (laughs) but whatever um can't wait to talk about gladiator i'll talk about it for hours um let's move on though quo vadis is bad don't watch it people um let's talk about a movie a streetcar named desire um this is based on the tennessee williams play um about a southern belle named blanche who um travels to new orleans after suffering a personal crisis and um Losing a lot of her losing her money to live with her sister and her husband and the sister's husband. Um, it's a weird movie. <laughs> um, I'll start with like my history with it. Um, one summer, I truly don't remember when, but it's <clears throat> my thoughts are on Letterboxd. Um, I just watched a bunch of Tennessee Williams ad- Tennessee Williams adaptations, um, and A Streetcar was one that I actually went into blind. Like I did not know the story at all while watching it for the first time. Um and it kind of like threw me like in a weird way. It's a movie that gets very dark and very weird um very quickly. And I enjoy the whole thing and some scenes were definitely etched in my brain. Um but like I'm just being uncomfortable. And then watching it again for this pod, I finally like kind of nailed what made me uncomfortable the first time. And I truly think it was like the not knowing how it would go. <clears> throat> um throat> And then watching it this time, fully knowing where it it goes, I enjoyed it a lot more. I don't think the movie fully dials into the weirdness of the story and the content in the first act. But, like, once it gets to that dark place, I think it it works. Um, I think it's a really interesting study of marriage and gender roles um, and the way, like, traditional quote-unquote traditional marriage and um like again not even joking this sound like heterosexuality is like this prison in some way and um mm-hmm. the way men are are monsters essentially um, and like expected to be such in marriages and everything and you know i think some parts of it don't quite work one of the things that my issues with it i'll talk about after we um get your your input but at the very least um i think all the performances are really phenomenal and i think the movie is in a ryan murphy sort of way very entertaining even if it is dark and troubling um what are your thoughts on a Shooker named desire
1: um, this is the second time I'd watched it. Um, I bought it in college because my, my roommate and I, and my, one of my high school friends, my so friend, no uh, sophomore year, um, a high school friend was visiting from Georgetown and, um, I don't know why I just dropped her college name. Um, <laughs> what a dick. Um,
0: <laughs> she, she doesn't have to be here for the Ivy league. Yeah.
1: Ref. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. Uh, and she was visiting and, um, on, on, on NYU campus, they have free cable. And they have, like, an old movie channel. Like, they'll every month they'll have, like, older movies. That's how I saw Carrie for the fir- first time. That's how I saw a lot of stuff for the first time. And that month they happened to have um, Guys and Dolls on. And we watched it, the three of us, because it just happened to be on. Because I was like, oh, I hear it's really good. And I'm, I'm you know, I love musicals or whatever. And um, we were like, we watched it and we were like, Marlon Brando is the hottest person who has ever lived. We need mm-hmm. more and I was like I like did a google search and I was like his other biggest film is Streetcar Named Desire I mean and The Godfather but he's old in that let's do Streetcar Named Desire so I went across the street to the Virgin Megastore on Union Square (laughs) with them purchased the DVD we went back home to watch it and the three of us were like what is this (laughs) what is this weird movie because we were like what's happening because we didn't know anything about it we were just like we hear Martin Breno is very hot in this. We need this fucking movie. Like, truly, <laughs> purely by thirst. So we go and watch it, and we're like, this Vivian Lee woman is an atrocity. She's horrible. Like, or this character is the worst person of all time. Um, And I, and, like, we were still like, he is hot, but, like, he's also an asshole. Like, I don't understand. Um, But, like, b- bizarrely enough, three of the three of us who are, just disgusting feminist now. Um, like literally just, <laughs> just Miss Andress to the end. Like <laughs> uh <laughs> We stand. Like, watch, yeah, we stand. But back then we were like, she's the villain. And then I watched it this time and I was like, oh my God. I hadn't we had internalized so much. Like I texted them after and was like, um, we were wrong about a certain named desire. <laughs> like we have some apologizing to do to ourselves and, and to, and to women everywhere. Um, yeah. Like I think she's a victim of monstrous men. And I think the movie makes that fairly clear. I don't know how I missed that. Um, I'm thirst is the reason the answer, obviously. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we'll talk. because he's,
1: very, <laughs> oh, he's, he is very sexually like powerful in this, like in a way that's traditionally masculine and also very toxic, but also like, He's beautiful, (laughs) like he's fucking beautiful in this movie. And then his shirt gets torn off, and you're like, "What's happening?" (laughs) Like,
0: oh yeah, I have like full notes on, (laughs) like Marlon Brando. (laughs)
1: pages pages of notes on it i mean so did i like uh, i didn't like i i still like even though i didn't like this movie a lot i still remembered that part fondly of like remember when he gets in that shower and his shirts get torn off oh so good i like Um, consider
0: myself like a five on the kinsey scale and then i watch this movie and i'm like am i a seven
1: like (laughs) like is it like just marlon brando no truly marlon brando when he's young is so fucking hot it like it makes perfectly reasonable women like my friends and I and perfectly reasonable men like you insane. We yep. can't, it's, it's, you can't do anything about it. <laughs> it's, but
0: it's interesting because there's like, there's something to his like sexual energy that feels so intentional. And like, in a way that I just cannot believe, like was channeled in the fifties. Like it's like, and there is like this dangerous level to it. Like it's that dangerous sexual energy that just works. It's it's a, Really good performance. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, people walked out because it was so filthy. Like, and it's it's the sexuality is potent throughout mm-hmm. it. Like Vivian Lee cannot handle it. That's her whole character's thing is that she's like, I cannot be in a room with this. Like, <laughs> like she's totally wants it, and like, but it's totally like, he'll kill, kill me. <laughs> like that'll be the be- the best. It'll she's gonna have it's gonna be so good. She's gonna die afterwards, and like spoiler alert it apparently drives her insane
0: (laughs) yeah like no completely i mean the (laughs) ending is so fucking dark and weird and like like i the first time i watched it and i can only imagine like i I, I imagine you had the same reaction i was just like wait what's happening in this in this movie like it just gets so so bad like and like in, in, in like a way that i find interesting as a film but just like Truly troubling.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the perversity of like, he literally has to fucking, I mean, it happens off screen and they never technically say what happens. I mean, you could read into it that he just like screamed at her enough and like broke down her fantasies enough of Mm -hmm. like, you know, not being a prostitute essentially to like, you know, drive her mad. But like, he definitely raped her. And Mm -hmm. like, as an, as an act of power, which is just like shocking. And like, it's the reason the wife leaves him and Stella leaves him and all this shit and, like, why he's finally alienated from everyone. But, like, it's – that's heinous, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: No, it's the sort of thing where I was, like, <clears throat> so thrown by it. And I think, like, you know, it is, like it's – it's a hard ending to wrap your head around because you just kind of um, – it's a weird thing to sit with, which leads me to, like, my first um, main – bullet point on this movie um it changes quite a bit from the play um the ending of the play has stella leave him no, not leave him i'm sorry stella leaves him at the end of the movie spoiler alerts for this movie and the play um stella leaves at the end of this movie in the play she stays with him and mm. um also in the play there blanche's husband um is gay which is like the scandal that leads um her like leads him to kill himself and her to move like it, like to set the plot in motion to move the step moving with Stella yeah. and um
1: right because closeted homosexuality is a is part of every Tennessee Williams play re- realistically
0: it is but in the 50s in films you cannot even have any um references to homosexuality so that was taken out but yeah. um which is wild because we're going to talk about a very gay movie in a little bit <laughs> but um <laughs> uh-huh. but um the um yeah it's the sort of thing i think those changes really do hurt the movie in some ways which is a movie that i really do enjoy quite a bit um but like it plays against the theme i think like i think as dark as an ending as it would be stella needs to stay with stanley at the end of it for the theme to fully be sold of like this like marriage is toxic and these people are in like this toxic relationship and um like the en- the ending is like the note that like is most false to me like i just do not buy she would like there's nothing in her character to suggest that she would leave him at the end of the um of the movie i yeah. think you need You're absolutely yeah. right
1: because she loves that toxicity and that there's that real brill- i mean kim hunter is so good in that she's scene so where good. she's post coital laying in the bed and she's like so the movement and the the speech is so languid and then she even has that line where she's like sometimes he gets a little you know rough or whatever and i love that and it's like oh my i like i was watching it. i was like i can't believe they got away with this this is so shocking oh it's like it's like steamy
0: like it's a weird movie i like this movie and the next one we're going to talk about are movies that i'm like how do they get away with this in like yeah. 1951 um no it's like fascinating i think um it's it's a weird little kinky movie um I would love. Th- this is one of the movies that I think most desperately needs to be remade. It's been um, restaged on Broadway quite a bit, and um, there have been some like really notable, yeah, like castings. Like Jessica Lange and Alec Baldwin are the most, um, the most famous. Like I th- that revival was like really praised. I cannot imagine Alec Baldwin in this part because I do not think he has the same sexual energy as Brando. But I don't know. <laughs> um, I when guess he was,
1: when he was younger, there was there was something there for sure.
0: Um, maybe I don't know I see like I think of working girl and I'm like Ugh. <laughs> but, oh,
1: um, no, he's gross in that like yeah. after that point he gets sexy and then it's like there's one with Kim Basinger where he basically plays a very similar character to this and like trusts Trust and believe, it
0: works. <laughs> um, I have to watch. Um, and then um, the most recent one, which is an adaptation that I was hoping would go to Broadway and it just never did, um, was in the West End, which is Gillian Anderson and Ben Foster, which I would have dropped so much money to go see. Really? Um, ben Foster does have the textual energy.
1: Oh, he um, He can turn it on, like, unbelievably. <laughs>
0: um, I would love to see this as a film, though. I think... Putting it in a film and not changing the play and keeping it this weird kinky R rated story would just do so well. Like I think we have a better understanding of these themes in twenty nineteen. Like I think you see like the themes about marriage and like the dark side of marriage being re- explored just on like network television these days. Like um, let like a movie like really get into this material. I'm trying to think of like actors I would love to see. I mean, like there are so many actresses that I would. Like love to see handle this part, like Kate Blanchett, Nicole Kim literally anyone in Big Little Lies, basically. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of any. Like, do you know any like anyone you would love to see cast in this? Like,
1: actor wise, I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, this is going to sound weird, but oddly enough, I think that um, that young man who plays Reggie Mantle on um, on Riverdale would be interesting. <laughs>
0: That'd be fascinating <laughs>
1: because he's very pretty, but also I mean that's kind of Reggie's thing. Is he is also an asshole? So I mean, not and like he's charming in that um, that movie that doesn't work. That everything, not everything, everything. Um, the other one, <laughs> um, the one that just came out. Recently. The
0: sun so, is also a star.
1: Yeah, sun is also a star. But like, even though that movie's problematic, like a mess. Um, but <coughs> I think he has the sort of right look. Like it should be someone so brutally hot that like. That like you're just like well of course yeah <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> you know um, but
1: it's it's tough because it's there aren't a ton of like actors like that now who are aren't a little embarrassed I think I think actually J- Jake Hall would have been great like ten years ago.
0: Ooh, that'd be really good. Yeah, that's a hey, good do point. Do you know what though.
1: I'm saying? Yeah, I think like we're, uh, this
0: is actually something I want to talk about the next one as well. Like I think the like actors are unwilling to go into that place, male actors specifically. Like, there are so few male actors that are willing to, like, go into that place. And, like, the discrepancy between, like, what women are doing for, like, their Oscar parts versus what men are doing is just so interesting. Weirdly, I could maybe see Bradley Cooper doing something interesting with it. He's getting a little too old now.
1: He's too old, yeah.
0: Yeah, but I, like, again, like, ten years ago when he was doing fucking, like, Hangover, Mm -hmm. um, I would love to have seen what he could have done. Interesting. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I know. I think that's a good point. I mean, the other one I think of oddly, I I don't mean to just call out CW people, but like (laughs) this one is, is partially based in like past history, but Stephen Amell was on, was on that hung show on HBO where he played just like a competing male prostitute. And like his half of his career has been about his physique and like how hot he is. And like, he's also played menacing. So like, uh, he's he's just at the top of age of it although he he when he shaves he looks pretty young so like it could work but like yeah like I I think you kind of need someone who is unafraid to be a a an object of desire and like the only reason I keep saying saying cW kids is because all of the men on that show on those shows have to be mm-hmm. ob- male objects of a desire for women and and gay men and like that's the whole point of that channel I love that for it I love that <laughs> channel for it but Just like you know, legitimate actors aren't really willing to do that anymore. I think you're right.
0: Yeah, I mean, actually, Steven Amell is not a bad choice. I have no idea about his acting ability. I gave up on Arrow after like five episodes. But he's um, gotten.
1: I mean, he couldn't have done it five years ago, but he can do it. I think he could do it now.
0: He's gorgeous, though. And I remember when he was campaigning for Fifty Shades, and I was like, cast him,
1: like please. (laughs) He would have been so good on that. Honestly, I mean, oh. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> actually the other per- the person who was actually cast as Christian Grey and then quit um Charlie Hannah. Yeah. He would he would be good in this part too. And like
1: Oh, that's a good
0: call. He is a good actor. Like so like and also I just think he's incredibly gorgeous also.
1: yeah And like he played a male object of desire many times. Like it really it has to it almost has to be someone from television who He's like yeah he like
0: shows his butt in like everything. It's just
1: like God bless America I mean where England wherever he's from.
0: Ireland I think I don't know. Yeah who knows Um, God no cast him and then someone from Big Little Eyes I would watch it in a heartbeat. (laughs) Um God. All right. Strike desire. Um Is there anything else you want to talk about or should we move on to um, A Place in the Sun?
1: No, that was probably – I will say it's funny that, of course, A Streetcar Named Desire is probably our horniest segment yet. But, like, you know, this is the end of the season. What do you expect, people? You know us by now.
0: You know, we've gotten so many notes from people of, like, you always talk about just actors you find attractive. And I'm like – ends like (laughs) that's half of hollywood to be honest like it's like like the best actors know how to make their sex appeal part of the performance so it's that is
1: what hollywood is it's built on it's literally built on that read a book
0: so you know if we're being horny on maine it's like we have to it's part of the job (laughs) it's part of the job
1: it's only gonna get worse
0: honestly as we move on through other seasons gods there are going to be some years where you're just going to like have to mute me there, yep. there is one um this is a teaser for future seasons there is one actor who starred in a film we will have to talk about released during my lifetime that I think made me gay <laughs> <And> <laughs> speculate who that is America <laughs> um but um no so um the other film which also stars a good looking cast um is oh a, a place in the sun this is um a film by george from george stevens based on the novel an american tragedy which is a terrible title mm-hmm. um an american tragedy by theodore dressier um this is this the film was actually adapted into other films in the 1920s or, or th- another film in the 1920s or 30s it was also a stage play um but this is like sort of seen as a definitive version. It follows um, a man who played by Montgomery Clifts who goes to work for a factory that a distant relative um, runs this distant relative is like a millionaire, um, basically like this from this incredibly incredibly prestigious family in the town and he finds himself stuck between two women who symbolize two different lives you could lead one as like a working class man and one as the um, the rich socialite who wants him to work his way up um, into the, up the social ladder played by Elizabeth Taylor. The other woman, the working class woman is played by Shelly, um, <coughs> Shelly Winters. Shelley Winters. Yes. Um, all right. Marissa, what are your thoughts with a place in the sun?
1: I love this movie. Um, I watched it a couple of years ago with a friend and he, he put it on and I was like, um, burn this for me. I need it. Um, <laughs> Cause it's just so beautifully shot. Like the cinematography is so fascinating. Every, frame is so deliberately chosen and so interesting like um spoiler alert when Shelley Winters reveals that she's pregnant they we aren't looking at their faces we're behind them it's at an brilliant. angle it's so brilliant and like you want to see their faces cuz you can just imagine how crushed he is but like both of them are so good that you don't need to you can hear it in their voices cuz both of them are impeccable actors and it's also mirroring their the first time he came to the room when it was they were outside, but now they're inside at an opposite angle, like literally one hundred and eighty degrees from where they were before. And it's no longer a love story; it's a fucking horror movie. You
0: know? <laughs> Completely. Um,
1: <laughs> I think I do think like um, Elizabeth Taylor is I, honestly to, like I talk I've said this many times, but she's like the literally the most beautiful woman who's ever lived. Like, thank God, film was invented to capture her her beauty. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> this movie is the movie that I think this is the height of her powers, like in terms of how beautiful she is. And also like her acting in this is so fucking sharp. Like, and it, she makes it look effortless to be this like object of desire. Realistically, she has to represent everything about like being rich and being socially mobile in America. And she does it, but also plays a human. It's like, mm-hmm. ha- the the delicate you know tightrope to walk is like incredible to me like I think there is there's that scene when he's talking to Shelly Winters and she's in that debutante dress um and like sort of being like silly and playful while he's on the phone and like she's so captivating and it seems so real and you're just like my god she doesn't have a care in the world because she is living the dream and knows she's beautiful it's like I just think that everything she does is so brilliant in this to me. And like when she shows up at the end, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler in the, in the jail and like mm-hmm. turns that corner and is in like a sad morning outfit, but also is still the most beautiful thing <laughs> I've ever seen. I remember the first time I watched this, I gasped because I was like, Oh my God, she, she literally represents everything that he loses. It's like, I think it's so brilliant. Um, and like, I don't know. I just think it's a brilliant movie. Like this one in streetcar were the one that everybody ones that everybody thought we were going to win. And like, I'm, I'm obviously happy with American in Paris winning, but, like, I'm also glad this was nominated that so that people will still watch it, because I think it's fucking brilliant. I mean, it, uh, I don't know if it ages great or... I mean, I'm sure there there are flaws, but I just think it's so well-made and interesting that, like, it's what cinema's about for me, in
0: a way, you know? No, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I I think this movie's aged incredibly well, like, to a point where it's so it feels so modern in Mm -hmm. how much it's able to, it's, it feels timeless. It, um, like in some, in some weird way, it just like, I think this movie, so it's, it's funny, my history with it. Um, I watched it for the first time in 2015, but truthfully when we decided to do 1951, I thought I hadn't seen it. And I was like, I was like, Oh, like trying to find where I could rent it from. And I was like, oh, like, I've watched this movie already. And I wrote, like, a full review of it on Letterboxd that I am like, I don't remember writing this. Like, it is truly, like, if you had asked me before we planned on recording this what the plot was, I wouldn't be able to tell you. And um, I don't know what was going on. Like, looking at the timeline that was during, like, a rough year, a, a rough part of my life, so I'm like, maybe I just was, like, not focused on movies at the time. But, um... No, like watching it this time really blew me away, and it's a movie that I have been able to stop thinking about since I since I rewatched it. Yeah. Um, George Stevens' his filmmaking is just out of this world. Um, what he's able to tell, like you mentioned, with just visuals and blocking, and um, the way, like the scenes that stuck out to me the most were um, the party scenes where mm. he just like they're filmed in this way that like, I mean, like really, it's like. The sets aren't anything all that extravagant or special, but like they like they feel like with the way they're filmed, they feel so important and so regal. And as he the camera like follows Montgomery Cliff through these parties, it just is like it's like weirdly just hypnotic, and you totally yeah. understand what he wants here. Um,
1: my my favorite single moment in the party scene is when. After the the phone call, he and and Elizabeth are dancing, or he and, and Elizabeth Taylor's character are dancing, and like they they start dancing, and then they they move into the the room out of frame, and it's obviously like a it's obviously a story point and something he told them to do, but like it feels so natural because of the way he's filming it, like and it expresses this thing of like they're being so swept away by their love that they just seamlessly rejoin this party, but things are different now. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's. It is so well done. everything about it feels so fully lived in um he like it's very literary, and especially with the mm. way he like you mentioned like Elizabeth Taylor is like a meta- like at the and especially in the last thing like is a metaphor um or a symbol more of like just the American dream essentially, <laughs> but like um it doesn't feel cloying or anything like that. It just feels like, oh yes, like this is what this movie is, and um I don't know. I was really blown away by it. It Like, I actually don't want to fully spoil it because I think it's not popular enough of a movie where people actually can go in somewhat blind to it. Um, it takes like a weird turn in the last act that like it shouldn't be able to do. And apparently according to my 2015 self, it bothered me that it went there, but mm. I think it worked on this rewatch. And I think like, it's like this great American tragedy of just like, but just ambiguous enough where you don't quite know what direction it could have gone in and everything. And like what Montgomery Cliff's character actually, how much of a part he actually played in that third act and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's really, really stunning. Um, And just also like, as with um, Street Cream Desire, like sexual in a way that I just was like shocked by (laughs) like yeah. the scene where Montgomery Clift and Shelley Winters have sex i was like oh shit like they i can't believe how much they got away with here <laughs>
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right cuz it's you know what they're implying and what's about to happen and like you all, even though you know the time period you're like how far is this about to go you know mm-hmm. it, <laughs> it's like oh shit
0: <laughs> it's fascinating and just like i don't know like obviously not graphic by today's standards but like um it just like it, it's the sort of thing, especially if you watch a lot of old movies, you'd just be surprised by. It. Like, it's like a quietly surprising moment. Mm. Um, I want to, like, I love talking about old movie stars and just movies stars in general. I think the movie star is, like, one of the most fascinating concepts to, to talk about. Um, Montgomery Clifton and Elizabeth Taylor. I find them both so fascinating because, like, we've established they're both gorgeous people, like, mm. truly gorgeous people. And, um, but, like, There is something about them in their acting style that is so, like, thoroughly, for lack of a better word, like, thespian. (laughs) Like, it's, Mm -hmm. like, you can very much feel, like, how deeply they get invested in these characters and how, like, it's not just, like, movie star acting, which is not a – I think movie star acting is a very, like, a hard skill and everything. But, like, they're doing, like, fully – like, form, like, theatrical acting. And I think that shows a lot in Elizabeth Taylor's works, like, Who's A Freedom of Virginia Wolf? Like, you see how far her range is. Um, I cannot think of any actors working today who have that mixture of, like, movie star looks, but, like, truly thespian, like, dramatic skill. It's, like, yeah. they really feel like, like one-of-a-kind movie stars.
1: Yeah. Well, like, realistically, Leonardo DiCaprio had it, but then – they, he got punished so much for being so beautiful that he like, he had to dirty himself up and like climb into a bear or whatever uh, to like, to win an Oscar. So like, I just, I I think, I, I don't know if we are culturally, the, I think we're about, we're almost there. Like that boy is coming and I can't wait to see him. But like, I think we're almost there because, like, truly the CW boys. That's why I mean, that's that's why I could only think of CW people for for a recast of Streetcar. Is that like they're just it, like mainstream Hollywood actors aren't allowed to be that fucking sexual and like, or that's sort of like Dreambody anymore. And like the close, like the person who closest, like the most recent example I think would be like a James Franco type or uh, or even Jake Gyllenhaal. But like Jake is also tried to dirty himself up just to, like, Mm -hmm. you know, not be that guy anymore, and it's stupid.
0: Yeah, I think Jake is someone who, like, has the talent, but, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, I mean, I think a part of this is just the roles he has decided to pursue because Mm -hmm. he, like, he very clearly wants an Oscar, which is fine. Get an Oscar, Jake. Um, He's, like, you know, becoming bone thin for um, Nightcrawler or, like, getting a weird mustache for a movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I can like i think maybe the closest we have to an elizabeth taylor and like is a Charlize theron but again mm-hmm. it's like her most acclaimed performance is the one where she had to like ugly herself up even though that's not even why the performance is interesting um
1: yeah i just don't know if we're there yet like i think we're coming back around to like allowing people to be just like utterly objects of desire and also do other things um which mm-hmm. i think is i think is great i mean that's that's what again what hollywood is about but yeah i think we're just a couple years out still like that is why I love those CW shows though. I I th- I argue about that with people all the time of like, listen, those fucking things they are cast for de- the most beautiful people in the world who are decent at best and that's why I appreciate them.
0: <laughs> that I mean everyone on those shows are they're gorgeous. Like um Yeah. Uh, um I'll stick up for Lily Reinhardt, I think is her name, who plays Oh, um, she's a
1: fucking fox. Are you kidding me?
0: She's gorgeous but like incredibly talented. She's in mm-hmm. Miss Miss Stevens with um Lily Rabe and Timothy Chalamet, which yes, is yes, yes,
1: she's quite good.
0: She's quite good. Lovely movie. Everybody should watch it. Um, no, like I think I wonder if Timmy could be this, like Timmy Chalamet. Mm. Um, like he's like a sex symbol in a way that reminds me of early Leo, but like incredibly talented. Also, I don't know. I'm he's too young right now. We have to see what he can do. But I'm cur- his career trajectory will be fascinating.
1: You're absolutely right, though. He's very much a Monty type because Monty wasn't like you know like brando there's not sex appeal he's just beautiful
0: oh yeah he's one of the like the best looking men to ever live essentially yeah. i think
1: no it's a totally why the, the car crash had almost killed him is like so part of part of why he eventually became an alcoholic because of it it's just like you know they had to like basically rebuild his face and like he he, he never looked the same after it
0: his story is fascinating and i really want a movie bet which they've been talking about there are so many angles you could take between him being bisexual him um like having this incredible friendship with elizabeth taylor for like their yeah. whole life um, yeah she's the
1: one who found him yeah like that fucking car crash
0: there are so many interesting angles and i hate that like matt bomer will in- inevitably play him because i think he's a terrible actor but they just happen to like share he is
1: so beautiful yeah yeah, is that but he's not a good actor no he's terrible
0: um I don't know. Make a movie though. Like I, I, I want that story. Um, I don't. I love this movie. I really. It's like one that like total one idiot. I mean, I guess again, <laughs> I didn't remember watching it, but 2015 was a blur. Um, any last thoughts before we move on to the? Um,
1: no, no. The I think I'm good.
0: Yeah. All right. We're well. We, have, we we'll be talking about it for the next like six categories. Um, so let's go through our picks for best picture. Um, You go first. I'm curious.
1: Um, You know, if I were really thinking about it, it's probably A Place in the Sun. But I think, I honestly think An American in Paris is, it is one of my favorite musicals of all all time. So I'm fine with keeping it there, honestly.
0: That's fair. Um, For me, it really is a a weirdly tough choice between Streetcar and A Place in the Sun. Like, weirdly just because, I don't know, a a part of me thinks I would like pick to watch Streetcar on a rewatch. Like, mm. if I had to pick because there's something more like popcorn y about it, like, it, like, um, like I said, it's very Ryan Murphy, um, mm. in its execution. But I, I'll i go with A Place in the Sun. I think, like, you know, I like to view be the best picture winners as like this canon of like important American movies. And I think this one deserves like that significant, like, like, um, that notice of like this is a, an
1: yeah.
0: important movie for America.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I, I totally buy the argument. Like, truly, I, I think. Maybe in a couple of years, you ask me the same question. I'd probably say a place in the sun. Absolutely.
0: American Paris, though, not a bad pick. Um, no. And it's fun that like I like when the fun movies win sometimes. Like yeah. They get it. They get a bad rep. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, people were furious when this won, but it's like you know what? Fuck off. It's great.
0: <laughs> it's like, I, I. There are so many fun movies that I'll be defending later um, in in future seasons where I'm like, I'll. This one's fine. Um,
1: yeah. Like real. You don't. We don't get um, a streak, or not a not a or, We don't get singing under the rain without without this movie. So like, it's an important part of history in that way.
0: Absolutely, uh, guy. I love singing in the rain. Um, best director, George Stevens won for A Place in the Sun. Also nominated. Um, Vin, is it Vincente Minnelli? Um, yeah,
1: Vincente Minnelli.
0: Vincente Minnelli for An American in Paris. Yeah, Vincent-
1: the eventual husband of, of, of Judy Garland and father of uh, Liza Minnelli.
0: That makes so much fucking sense. does
1: <laughs> My I God. So noted closeted gay man.
0: <laughs> Again, makes a lot of sense.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I saw the tights Gene Kelly was in. Um, um, you know, <laughs> sent in Minnelli for An American in Paris. Um, oh, I'm, I feel like I'm going to fuck up. Eli- it's Elliot. it's Elliot Elliot- Elia Kazan, okay, for A street Named Desire. Um, and then two directors who we haven't spoken, like, we haven't spoken with their films yet, but they were both pretty big this Oscar year. Um, John Huston for The African Queen and William Wyler for Detective Story. Um, we can talk about those. The, the, those two will come up, I think, a little bit later again. Um, who's your pick for these three, for these five?
1: Yeah. I, you got to keep it with George Stevens. I think I, we talked about it. It's the most incredible of the films for sure. I think looks wise and and what he gets out of those those actors.
0: I completely agree. We like it's like it's almost unquestionable. I think of these these five. Like I could see an argument for what Vincent Minnelli is doing. Like I think it's a really beautifully directed musical. But no, it's George Stevens.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great musical, but you do have to remember that in that time gene would have been almost as much of an influence on the way that looked and was choreographed as as minnelli did you know
0: yeah no it's that's fair god we'll talk about gene kelly in a minute uh um, and his snubs um all right it's just let's, let's just go there best actor um humphrey bogart won for the african queen um i guess we should talk about the african queen now this is um like a <laughs> A buddy comedy essentially between
1: <laughs> a buddy comedy romance
0: yeah between Humphrey Bogart playing like a steamboat captain and it's been a few years Kevin Hepburn plays like a missionary I think in
1: it or something like that or she's yeah I mean realistically she plays an old maid that's what they she really yeah. plays.
0: <laughs> um I watched this in college I thought it was fine um it's it's charming for what it is and very enter- and entertaining Do so you yeah, what are your thoughts on um mm-hmm. an, the African Queen
1: um I I joke about it a lot because it was one of the first movies I saw on a Blu-ray Blu-ray um in a, like a restored Blu-ray version um on a very very expensive projector that is like built for Blu-rays realistically and like 4Ks and things like that. And I was I I said at the time there are some movies that should not be this defined because <laughs> Bogart and Hepburn are pretty old in this and they look like reanimated corpses because A, they're old, but B, they're wearing technicolor makeup, which is just like pancake makeup. So they look they look like truly corpses that were dressed up for their funerals that were then brought back to life and then just put on a boat in Africa. And like, it's, it's tough to watch. And he's an asshole. It's very much that... Um, you know uh, King Solomon's mind's dynamic, and like we, you know, we're we're on the record is not liking that dynamic, and and I, it's just not for me. It just didn't work for me. I haven't seen it since, and I certainly don't want to. Like, the other I don't buy their romance. Like I know I understand why Bogie won it. Like he had never won one, and um he campaigned for it because you know people loved him in in Hollywood. Um, but yeah, I I think it's. I don't know. It's not for me. I, I get why he won. It's a career thing, but like, ugh, that movie's rough.
0: Oh yeah, I based, I agree essentially. I, I think I liked it more than you based on my memories and based on how you said it, but I have like zero desire <laughs> to ever return to it. And like, I guess I'm happy that he has um, an Oscar, but I don't particularly like love this performance, yeah. especially with this um, lineup. Like, the other four nominees are Marlon Brando, for Desire, Montgomery Clift for um, A Place in the Sun, and then Arthur Kennedy for Bright Victory and Frederick March for Death of a Salesman. I found most of these films, like nominated for just acting categories, very yeah. hard to find. Um Yeah.
1: I, Bright Victory and, and uh Death of a Salesman like don't exist anymore. I was gonna watch them and then I was like, well, I guess I'm not.
0: Which is a shame because I would absolutely love to see a Death of a Salesman like Yeah,
1: I love Frederick March. I mean I'm on the pod, uh, you know, long history of loving Frederick March here. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: like I, I wish I could find one of those. I'm so I, I was I was bummed out about that. But um yeah. I was also bummed out that Gene Kelly wasn't nominated, honestly, because he would have been my pick. Like I, I I don't know how much of it is like you wanna call like traditional acting, but like I think he deserves an Oscar for what he did in this in that movie. Like it's a, it's truly incredible work. And like I don't I think Marlon Brando and Montgomery are both are both really good, but like I kind of just would love to have given Gene Kelly an Oscar for what he did in this film, at the very least nominate him. Um yeah. Who, like, so of those two that I like, I'd go with Marlon Brando, I think, for the reasons we talked about. Like, I think, like, his sexual energy is just so unique and so, um, like, really just complicated, and he's able to convey it so well Mm -hmm. where I'd give it to him. Um, but Montgomery Montgomery Cliff's great too. Um, who are you going with?
1: Uh, no, same same exact, for the exact same reason you said, Uh, it's got to be Brando. Like he's incredible. I mean, I'm, and I I will say, I'm glad that like they gave Kelly a a special award for his versatility, quote unquote. So like, you know, they, they were like, yeah, he, let's just give him his own thing. Like we're going to make a category for him. He's so good in this fucking thing. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely Brando is like so incredible in that movie.
0: So good. Um, actress, let's go to actress. Um, Vivian Lee won for, um, a street crane desire. Um, and then also nominated Catherine Hepburn for the African queen, Eleanor Parker for detective story, which is funny. Cause I feel like that's more of a supporting performance, but whatever.
1: That was um, bizarre. I like, yeah, that was weird.
0: Yeah. Um, Shelly went for her place in the sun and Jane Wyman for the blue veil. Another movie I tried really hard to find and could not find anywhere. Um, yeah,
1: same.
0: who are you going to go with of these five?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with Shelly cause Shelly's great at it. Um, God bless Shelly Winters. She is the reason that it's tragic that he they can't escape this this horrible circumstance they're in because she she tries to get an abortion, but it's 1951. She can't get an abortion. Mm. Um and she knows he doesn't love her anymore, and she says that right before he kills or accidentally kills her when he's actually thinking of like, you know uh, oh shit, I just spoiled the whole thing. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Um and like he uh he like It it changes his mind. Like, I don't know. It's it's she's so good. I think she's just excellent and like at first I was like, that's category fraud, but I was like, Oh no, she is in more of it than Elizabeth Taylor now that you say it. (laughs) Um so yeah, it should be Shelley Winters.
0: Um it is so tough for me. I think like I'm gonna go with Vivian Lee. Um I think I think (gasps) about that scene all the time, um when Blanche what was it? On the dock. No, um that's a great scene as well. I love the scene weirdly enough um when Blanche vis- like first meets up with her sister at the bowling alley. And yeah. she's just like she's monologuing and then like doing that like um like the the, the self deflection sort of thing, where it's like, "Am I annoying you to whoever like you're with?" And then it's like it's like the worst <laughs> thing you could possibly say to somebody, <laughs> and like it just is like really, it's such brilliant work. It's entirely like calculated theatrical acting, and I think it's like that at its absolute best. I I yeah. love everything she's doing in it. It's so good. I I think Shirley Winters is amazing too. I think that performance is like really heartbreaking. Um like and it's like the the entire abortion arc um ties in with George Stevens and what like that they never explicitly say that she wants an abortion but you fully un- understand what's going on it's it's such brilliant work but yeah i got to go vivian i think i i love that performance
1: she's uh, brilliant in it i mean i fully admit like i it's hard to take it away from her i just love shelly winter so much like she's just the best um but like yeah like i th- i mean i think the thing that that i that i noticed this time especially having watched gone with the wind so recently was like oh she really is playing scarlet but just like if scarlet had not been able to really bring her like still stay legitimate and just like fully become a prostitute like it's wild like i it's such a brilliant performance cuz you're like oh bitch you did that <laughs>
0: I wish whoever was giving the Oscars out would say that. Like,
1: if I if I were there, I would have been like, "Oh, bitch, you did that."
0: God, oh, we should have been there. <laughs> um, nah, what a, what a what a just like I love campy actresses. Like, it's like the biggest cliche of like about queer men that I subscribe to. But I'm like, give me a good character actress just monologuing, and I'll be happy. Um, All right. Supporting actor. I think maybe my least favorite lineup of all time. Um, You have Carl Malden wins for and Desire. Um, He plays Mitch, this like lump of a man who um, Vivian wants to seduce um vivian i'm referring to her on a first name basis <laughs> our good friend
1: vivian Lee.
0: <laughs> blanche is trying to seduce um also nominated leo jen for playing quo Vad- for um for Vadis playing petronius i'll be fully honest i do not remember who who that character is couldn't tell you based couldn't on name alone um kevin mccarthy for death of a salesman peter used to know for Quavada's one of my least favorite performances, I think, ever nominated for an Oscar, I'll be totally honest. And um, G. Young, um, Gig Young. I think it's Gig. I gig. Think it's gig? Okay. I was like, whose name is Gig? But I guess it's Gig. <laughs> um, gig Young for Come Fill Up the Cup, or Come Fill the Cup. Um, who are you going to go with these five?
1: I think Malden is the only choice. I mean, like, it doesn't make any sense, but like, there's no other options
0: yeah i'm gonna go with malden too, half because i think there's no other options um i i mean i wish i could see death of a salesman really like badly but um i will say i didn't love his performance the first time because i was kind of like he's the only one not camping it up but um on a rewatch i actually was impressed by him like it's a different kind of like over the top theatrical persona like he's really going for like this like um Essentially playing like an incel, like before, oh. b- before they had incels. Like, and I, I found that kind of fascinating. It was very much like a John C. Riley type performance of like, this sort of like. Overly wounded masculinity that, like, he tries to come off as like this gentle guy, but you fully see, like, you can see beneath that, and you can see like the danger and the darkness lying there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he,
1: he he rips that mask off right near the end, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really fascinating. I I enjoyed his performance a lot more this time around. I feel like I got what he was going for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, supporting actress um, Kim Hunter won for Sugar named Desire*. Also nominated Joan Blondell for *The Blue Veil*. Mildred Dunnock for Death of a Salesman. Um, Lee Grant for Detective Story. And Thelma Ritter for The Mating Season. Um, I tried to watch The Mating Season. That one actually, I couldn't find the DVD if DVD, I just didn't have the time. But I love mm. Thelma Ritter in general. Um, who are you going to go with?
1: Um, Kim Hunter. I mean, that, again, that fucking post-coital scene is like so fucking filthy. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I can't believe she's getting away with this. But It's so good. And like... You know when she runs down the stairs, or she comes down the stairs when after he screams Stella and like she she nails it. Like the fact that she never actually seems afraid of of Brando in a way that like she absolutely should is really interesting. So like yeah, I think like, Kim Hunter's great.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go with Kim Hunter too. I'll give the grand slam of all four. Oscar's going to Um mm-hmm. Streetcar. Um, she's so good. Like for both of the scenes you mentioned, it's in- the scene on the stairs when she go- is like. Oh my like her face is just like haunting like it's Whoop. it's incredible. Um I will say I guess we should talk about the detective story briefly. Um Lee Grant I think might be the best part of it mainly because she's the only like I... non-problematic part. <laughs>
1: yeah that well that's certainly true. I will say though like she was trying so hard it was like making me annoyed. So I, I didn't, I didn't love that. Like it was too much for me. I I think that's, I mean, I, that's my problem with Lee Grant always is that you can see the work going on and just like, I don't know, there is something, the palpable sense of fail, like fear failing is, is what makes her not, (laughs) not work for me. So, um, yeah, I don't know. She's just like too noticeable in it. Like, I don't care, you know? Um, but I, I see it like she just doesn't work for me and that's my issue. So I totally get it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's the sort of thing. I think it's an impressive performance. I think that movie, which for those who don't know, is a movie that basically follows a detective played by Kirk Douglas throughout like a day. And um, it's very, very dated. Um, Like, I think it's like, it's an interesting subplot. I think that movie is just so, like, so strange and in the, like, so dated in its themes that, like, it's the only thing that I feel feels modern in some way. But I do I, – I see what you mean. It's very much like a, a theater kid performance. I'm like, do you like this? Is this working <laughs> for you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> she, that's, that's the best way to put it because it's very stagey too. So you can just imagine her being like on the side of the stage, like rocking a chair back and forth and be like, remind everyone that I'm here, you know? <laughs> God. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> like her speech at the Tony's would be wild too, you know? <laughs>
0: She won best actress at con. I just learned from yeah. um, good for her, I guess this for, this like film, a, for this film, for this film,
1: is the queerest episode we've ever done.
0: Oh yeah. Completely.
1: <laughs> it, just, it just
0: hit me. <laughs> we had to go out with the, it's pride month. We had to go out with the
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: It's an Oscar podcast. Of course it's going to be queer.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: So that wraps up the awards part of the episode. We always like to highlight the one other category. Um, and I'm going to throw it over to uh, Marissa to talk about the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award, which went to Arthur Freed.
1: Yep. Um, I, this is a, another indulgent spec by by Matt. But I, I honestly, like, when we were doing, when we were picking stuff, I was like, well, we could do a cartoon this kind uh, this time because all the stuff's available. But, like, it is important that we talk about Arthur Freed at some point because, like, mm-hmm. every, like, American Paris is a result of his per- Production unit at MGM. He was uncredited on Wizard of Oz. So, like basically every musical you know in the classical Hollywood period that is as noted as being really good was part of the MGM Arthur Freed unit. His production unit. They basically gave him free reign. They were like, he helped on the Wizard of Oz, and they were like, you're great. Here, here's your own production arm, basically within within MGM. Do what you like. You know, he recruited all these great actors. Um, like he got, uh, Fred Astaire to come over to MGM after RKO, um, after he left RKO. He, um, he wrote a bunch of songs. He's a lyricist too. So he does the make laugh number in, um, in singing in the rain, which is honestly, like absolutely plagiarism because it, <laughs> it takes the tune and the theme, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, the tune and the theme of be a clown, um, by, uh. God, I can't remember his name right now, but it's the same song, but they just like it. They, the studio didn't own that one. So they just, just took it. (laughs) It's like, it's wild. You, have you heard ever, have you ever heard uh, be a clown?
0: I have. Um, I won't go into the tangent of how I know it, but I do know it. (laughs) And I always confuse them. I like they, like, because they're so similar.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's the same tune. And like, they should have been sued, but uh, you know, they got away (laughs) with it for some reason. I'm not sure how, but they, they got away with it. Um, yeah, it's a cool Porter song, but um, yeah, like, he is the reason musicals became such a thing in mid-century, um, and he won the award for the Thal- he won the Thalberg, um, and he was like, um, what's it called, a, a protege of Thalberg, too, um, and other people thought, you know, that he wasn't supposed to win it that night, but, and I think he totally deserves it, like, Arthur Fried, Fried should be acknowledge because like again he does so much he stood he made the first his first film as in for his own unit was babes in arms um which is the first movie to put judy garland and mickey rooney together and then they the two of them made a series of movies after that like it's one of it was like the musical series back then and like really defined judy for an entire generation in the same way that like she, it was wizard of oz and then she did those movies too so it's like she was this beloved and both of those stars realistically are defined by that series of movies. Um and like uh he brings so much talent from Broadway to to film, which is like really realistically, he is the reason we have the movie musical, because he gave all these people free reign. Like, you know, uh, American in Paris is partially what it is, and so is singing in the rain, are part of what they are are what they are because he was like, Yeah, Gene, just do whatever the fuck. You you want and like you and stanley donan and and you and Vincente minnelli can do whatever the hell you want um and that's like it's brilliant that's a great thing like he brought condon and green and minnelli to movies um and like here's a list of of movie or uh, musicals that he did like a lot of them some of them we talked about um mostly me (laughs) but (laughs) he did meet me in saint louis easter parade on the town um Singing in the Rain, The Bandwagon, Brigadoon, which is not a great movie, but what I which I love because it's insane. Um, it's Always Fair Weather, which has uh, one of the most famous um, numbers of all times. The one when Gene Kelly dances with um, I don't know I'm sorry, that's a different one, um, but like. Uh, that's the boxing number one, and it's he did silk stockings, which I've talked to, talked about too many times on this podcast. <laughs> it's a recurring um, bit. <laughs> it's a recurring bit, and I had to bring it back for this one surprise. Um, he also did Gigi, which is unforgivable. But you know, we we all make mistakes.
0: We do. God, I am dreading our episode about Gigi. That is like yeah, one. I, run, I like honestly, yikes.
1: we should keep it to the very last episode.
0: <laughs> it's our grand <laughs> finale. <laughs> <laughs> it's our grand finale.
1: We're gonna keep it forever. We're gonna be dead in ten years.
0: It honestly might be my least favorite Best Picture winner of all time. <laughs> like I think, yeah. Uh, get ready, people.
1: It's his one unforgivable thing, and like that was it. Truly, I think that movie kills musicals in a way in the classical after the classical Hollywood period. But it does also direct where musicals go after that because they become less dance oriented and more like boring fucking plot. Who gives a fuck? They
0: become bad
1: yeah that's a really um, how many <laughs> how many uh, movies have you, of his have you seen i have seen most
0: not most actually that's a total lie. um like i saw a better chunk than i thought mostly <laughs> as kids as, as as a kid where it's like i don't even like i wouldn't even count it now as like i have a fully formed opinion on it but like um my grandpa liked musicals a lot like um so like like these this era of musicals so like i had definitely seen things like um um, summer Holiday, I, I kind of remember Easter Parade, um, On the Town, Annie Get Your Gun. Um, I definitely remember On the Town. My grandpa loved that one. Um, probably Brigadoon, thinking about it. like, um, like I've seen a lot of those just as a kid with my grandpa where it didn't really register, but like they're in my brain on some level. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of like as an adult, where I feel like I have to like go fully from the opinion, um, probably Wizard of Oz. I mean, definitely Wizard of Oz. Like things like Meet Me, me in St. Louis. I haven't seen yet, unfortunately. I've seen the play. Um, what was the other one? American Paris, obviously. Singing in the Rain, and Gigi, and that might be it. Based on. His Wikipedia is like I want to see a lot more though. I feel like I have to see Silk Stock at this point now to like fully make the like referenced.
1: It's so much. it's unfortunate that that's the one you're gonna end up watching because you you absolutely have to watch the bandwa- bandwagon. It's like and everybody on the pod should listen to it. I think truly it is arguably one of the greatest. It's absolutely the greatest. One of the greatest movies or movie musicals of all time, possibly the greatest. It's it's truly like t- back and forth between that and Singing in the Rain.
0: I have I'll definitely check that one out then because i mean i, I would even like i have to meet me and Saint maybe eventually i'll probably do that pretty mm-hmm. shortly after we finish doing these and um i don't know maybe i'll watch on the town just because i definitely remember seeing that as a kid but can't tell you anything about it now true um,
1: masterpiece it's about three thirsty women going after three equally thirsty men amazing <laughs> the, there's the, there was an adaptation of that i think okay. the the year before or the year after American in Paris, a couple years ago, and um, one of the reviews that I read, I think it was in the Times, was like truly the horniest musical you ever see, you'll ever see, and I was like, yes, please.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love the era of like horny musicals from like the fifties yeah. and the sixties. Like fucking, um, I always confuse the names, even though I only, I only like one of them. Um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is like mm. fucking a masterpiece. I love that movie it's
1: the it's the
0: best it's so good it's, it's so best. horny it's so yeah. it's
1: so horny it's so gay. yeah the um, the like the the gym number where all those naked men are just flying around it's insane
0: it's insane a true fever dream i love it i'm probably gonna go watch that scene like the minute we finish recording this episode <laughs> um no i mean that's like a great little history lesson on like this genre which i think like is like going through the survival, but I don't know if they're doing it the right way. And I, I hope they take some lessons. They are adapting so many musicals. Like, yeah. um to like in to go off the top of my head, we ha- we have cats coming. Like we've been warned. <laughs> like Cats is coming. We got um, the West Side Story remake. We've got Dear Evan Hansen. Um we've got the prom, which seems how you see wh- I'm
1: just the Dear Evan Hansen one. I oh, realize. okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, Dear Evan Hansen. I think is going to be, the. I think the ship has sailed. Where it's like, if they adapted that right away, it would have been fine. And now I think people are all like, Hefen is listening to like Ben Platt sing, and they're like, Hey, wait a minute, like yeah. this thing is pretty messed up. Um,
1: I tr- truly, I, I I cannot wait for the day. I'm going to – it's just going to be me monologuing if we have to do it for this Oscar pod. Truly, I'm going to fucking read that fucking plate of filth.
0: (laughs) It's like – it's so funny because it's like – I think that those songs are genuinely really interesting and then
1: it's like – Great music. The music is undeniable but it is toxic masculinity. The music – it's incel the, the musical.
0: It is insane, like when you think about the plot. Like and you're like, wait, what is this about? Um, but weirdly I think it would be it could be a very compelling movie, even though it's gonna probably be very toxic. Um I'm interested in seeing the prom be adapted. I haven't seen that musical, but I think that musical looks sweet. Um There are just very few musicals that I care about even seeing. Like like the, the things on Broadway that are interesting to me now are like the dramas. So mm-hmm. um even though i really want to see Hadestown town and i really want to see um what's it called sexy oklahoma
1: yeah um, <laughs> sexy oklahoma <laughs> that is not its title but yes <laughs> yes
0: um and it, i'm going to be unbearable when jagged little pill opens in december Being, yeah. i already have my tickets i'm in atlanta stan i'm super excited <laughs> but um
1: I no i just definitely i wish more i i know it's not going to happen but i wish more of those music would be musicals that are coming up would be more arthur freed less lame Les is I, I
0: agree. I like the way they fucked up. And there's so many things that like work in that movie, like, mostly involving like Anne Hathaway. <laughs> and, yeah, she's, um,
1: she's the only good thing about it.
0: And um, it's just a shame because that music is so perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Can't wait to see Tom Hopper's Cats. Um, do we want to move on to the next yeah, segment? Yeah, let's do it. Let- okay. We like to highlight other films from the year, from the years that we're covering. Um, as many of you probably know, because it's our season finale, and <laughs> um, there are only two really that I want to highlight. And one of them I actually didn't even register was kind of from this year. But um, Rashomon won best foreign film this wow. year, um, and I really do like that movie. I think we talked about it in um, our 1950 episode, weirdly enough, because I think it like might have been released in some parts of the world in 1950. Um, foreign films, the the rules with the Academy are very strange, as we've documented. But I love Rashomon. I'm not prepared to talk about it because I truly forgot it was from this year. But good movie. Um, the main one I want to talk about is um, Strangers on a Train. <laughs> um, yeah. Which I think is my favorite Hitchcock movie. Um, like, either that or Rear Window. It really is, like, it's a close call for me. But um, I have mentioned on the pod before that my favorite Hitchcock movies are the ones that have like these kinky undercurrents to it. And that Strangers on a Train is like the kinkiest fucking movie. It, like it is so dark and weird and um, plays with the homosexual undertone so well in a way that like apparently went over the, like the, <laughs> the censor boards heads at the time, but is so palpable as you watch it. And like, it's like openly known that it was like, Intended in like Hitchcock's direction that like this is supposed to be read as gay, Um cool. and it's like fascinating. It's a fascinating thriller. I really love it. Um, I think about the scene where the the one character is killed and like you see the reflection in like the glasses falling and everything. Oh, it's, oh, it's so good! good. It's so good. It's such a great movie. Um Did you watch the show What If with Renee um, Zellweger, our beloved Renee Zellweger?
1: I have not yet. I have been very busy.
0: It's. It's a lot. <laughs> we need to like have a full mini series on the show itself. But there's one episode where she like watches that movie with like another character, and um, like it's like numerous scenes of them talking about it in like this incredibly hamfisted, like over the top way. And I was just like, "Fuck, I think this movie is perfect." <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I want to monolo- I want to watch Ridley Scott monologue it for the rest of my life. Um, there was rumors back right after Gone Girl that. Um, Gillian Flynn was going to do a modern version of *Strangers on a Train* with Ben Affleck starring, and I'm really upset we never. I don't really know if I want Ben Affleck to be in it, but like, I'm really upset that we haven't gotten that yet because I think this is one that like, similar to *Streetcar*, now that you can be a little more explicit about the undercurrents, um, do something interesting with it. Like, it could be yeah. fascinating. I would love to see it with two women. I think like you could do something really fun with that, um, or two men. Honestly, like, make it more explicitly queer i think it would be fucking for this i love Fringe's on the train please watch it if you haven't um i like i think it's one of his more popular but it's not quite on the same level in terms of cultural knowledge as like psycho or window please watch it it's it's so so good
1: it's on netflix people have no excuse
0: oh i didn't even know i own the i own the blu-ray excuse me (laughs) but um i am happy that it's on netflix please watch it everybody what about you marissa what are some movies you want to highlight from 1951
1: I'm actually going to, I mean, I was going to say Strangers on a Train, and there's also, it's not a good movie, but um, it's very like me to talk about a a lady thriller about bad girls. Um, (laughs) Betty Davis is in a movie called Another Man's Poison, where she tries to poison her husband, but then um, her husband's, like, criminal friend shows up, and then, you know, the poison gets passed around. Um, That sounds fucking amazing. You have to watch it. (laughs) I'm going to watch it right now. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, I'll, 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 like in a second i'll be like matt matt are you there <laughs> um it's uh it's very it's very it's not great but it's so weird and she's very interesting in it and the ending as well um and you know i could say ace in the hole but i'm gonna go back to our original tent for this whole for your consideration thing which was like just one nominee or whatever Ooh, yeah. um and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna pick uh elizabeth taylor for supporting actress <laughs> it's a fucking crime it's a hate crime. That is a crime. I don't understand it. <laughs> she, what is she? Too beautiful? You're like, what's wrong with you people? Like, <laughs> get a fucking grip, 1951 Oscar Academy. Like, what are you talking about? The way she faints in the mirror, that's it's that alone. Incredible. It looks so fucking painful. Like, she, holy shit. She hits the ground so hard that I was like, she's got CTE. <laughs> like, she's <laughs> She's dead, guy. Like, bro, that's that explains why she went nuts later in life. Is that fucking fall? How many times she probably did it? Like, she's brilliant in it. Like, it's bullshit that she didn't get a supporting actress nomination.
0: It it is insane. I think she's really wonderful. I would still probably give it to Kim Hunter, but you know, it's it's really good, and they dominated for so many like lesser performances. Um, I don't Butterfield Eight. I've never seen Butterfield Eight. I but like. I don't think I've ever seen her be bad in a movie. Maybe Butterfield. I I truly don't know. But, um... think
1: Capra is is tough.
0: That movie's rough in general. But, God, four fucking hours. I'm gonna have to, like, block out of Like, take off work to watch it when we get to that year. (laughs) Um, but... No, she's so, so good in Place in the Sun. God. Justice for Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. (laughs) Who has two Oscars, but justice. (laughs) (laughs) Um... No, and actually, you mentioned Ace in the Hole, which is a good movie. Also, I like fully forgot to talk about it, but that's a good one. I own that too on Blu Ray. <laughs> um, so I think that's it. Should we move on to like our goodbyes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So you, this is our um season finale for, and the winner still is. We will be back. We have our eight our next eight episodes planned out, <laughs> but um, like we just got it's just a matter of figuring out scheduling. Like the uh, the actual Oscar season is heating up for 20 um 2019 so we're gonna have to focus a lot of attention on that and also just the world is the world and it's it's hard to find time to watch this many best picture contenders but um you know it's like it's kind of awesome that we made it this far like this is like a passion project for marissa and i um that like i'm happy we managed to get the first season completed and like you know we're actually interestingly enough approaching the year anniversary of when marissa and i even like first started podcasting in general um back in like july 2018 we started the too early oscar podcast and that kind of just like became an organic thing like we just like you wanted me on just a podcast about like i think like black klansman or something like that i don't even remember what we first talked about but um we just kept working together and like It became this – our podcast empire. (laughs) And, um, you know, it just wanted to reflect on that like a year ago this time I was in like a pretty dark place. I had just gone through like this horrible breakup and was not feeling very good about myself. And, um, you know, at first our podcasting, whether it be the Tour of the Oscar podcast and then this one, um, like at first it was just like a fun distraction – Um, from like sad things but then it really did evolve into being like this thing that I'm I think is really really fun and exciting and I love doing it and I think it has actually made me like enjoy film more and like consider film on a level I never had before so I just want to take a minute to thank um, anyone who listens because I think it's kind of amazing that people actually listen to to us talk about which actors were horny about um i want <laughs> i want to thank bill for um letting us use the poprick as this platform to talk about which actors were horny about um Lucas, our sound person, who like adds our lovely theme song and wrote, and wrote the theme song, which is fun, and will will stitch video clips together, audio clips together, <laughs> when we need be, um, to record in multiple sessions because of bad internet connection. Um, and then, of course, just thank you, Marissa. You're a wonderful co-host, a great friend, and I'm so happy that we managed to complete this first season.
1: Same, yeah. I mean, that was very. That, I mean, you kind of said it all, man. um yeah i uh i i feel like i had everything together before we started this this podcast and and truly i'm about 10 minutes from a nervous breakdown which is why we really need really need a break between seasons like poor matt was like hey you want to schedule things like i can't even think about it like (laughs) (laughs) I was like ready i'm ready to fucking faint on a carpet just like elizabeth taylor at this point um i'm so tired (laughs) i've seen 336 movies this year i need a break. This I don't know year, how everyone. you
0: do it. I truly I, I see your letterbox and I'm like, she's a superwoman.
1: Like I, I'm convinced. Yes. <laughs> I'm flirting with uh with a full nervous breakdown, so you know it's <laughs> <laughs> things are things are weird. Um but yeah it's it's been a lot of fun. I, I've been glad to rewatch the movies and and I'm excited to do more and you know someday we'll have to do GG but that's many years down the road and and I think right now it's just a it's really fun and I, I love talking about it with people too because like you know, it's just—it's cool to like be like walk up to someone and be like, "You know, I watched your weirdest movie last night. It's called Mister Skeffington," <laughs> and then I just describe the plot. <laughs> it's lovely.
0: It's so—it's so much fun. I, I think you know, we we got something here. <laughs> like I, I'm happy to. I'm looking forward to our next season.
1: Yeah. Um. Do you remember what our our next episode is? Just I mean, we could plug it now, obviously. Um. Just to so people can start watching them now.
0: Yeah, um I'm trying to think of the exact year. It's 1996. It was the year The English Patient won. Um yeah. that will be our season premiere. We're just trying to figure out when it would be best to do this next season um and also watch the 2019 Oscar films which are getting ready. But at the very least before like it, until we start the next season like bef- at, right after 4th of July we'll be back with the um the two early Oscar podcasts getting ready to talk about all the big films that have come out so far, like Rocket Man and um by the time it comes out midsummer, um, and Toy Story Four, and then also just like talking about what's coming up. Like I I'm sure we'll be talking about Little Woman because I passed out when I saw the Vanity Fair um article about it. So it's like we're <laughs> we're gonna be doing a lot of fun Oscar stuff for this season as we get ready for the twenty for the for season two of And the Winter Still Is.
1: Yeah. Trust and believe there will be much thirsting for nineteen ninety six as well.
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, um, Lots of thirst. That's what you can expect. Thoughtful film commentary and thirsting. Um, (laughs) On that note, let's sign off. Marissa, where can people find more of your work and what can um, they expect to see from you on the site soon?
1: Oh, boy. Um, by the time this is up, I I actually don't know what I have coming. And I think I, actually, I this is when my break after Tribeca finally is starting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tribeca was in March, everyone. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I think you're just going to see a lot of reprints for a little bit. Uh, I will have just done the new Child's Play movie uh, when this comes out. And last week I would have had uh, a reprint of Wild Rose, which just came out. You, everyone should see that. Um, I did it for Tribeca. The Quiet One just came out, which is all right. I mean, you can wait unless you're a big Beatles fan. Um, Toni Morrison, um, The Pieces I Am, is a documentary about Toni Morrison, which everybody said should see, even if you've never read Toni C. Morrison's work. Um, I just did that, um, and that should be it. And then, I think, yeah, uh, who knows what I have coming next? I think I deliberately don't have anything coming up.
0: Good, you deserve a vacation. <laughs>
1: oh. I'm, so, I'm so, I'm dying.
0: <laughs> um. You can uh, – where can people follow you on social media?
1: Oh, at Marissa Carpico everywhere. Uh, come, to, come to my letterbox and see how I keep posting <laughs> – keep posting reviews for something every 20 minutes.
0: <laughs> Truly, my weekend is like half doing things and the other half being like, what five movies has Marissa watched?
1: What, 86 movies did Marissa watch <laughs> yeah. in two days? Yeah.
0: Um, for, for what you can expect from me on this site – um what is what can you expect from me um the site will be banded together to cover stranger things season three um like fourth of july weekend which i'm excited for that i love that show. i can't wait for have it back in my life um uh you can expect um as part of our 1999 anniversary articles i'll be talking about american pie in the coming weeks like early july um and um in terms of tv you can listen to the podcast that bill um alicia and i recently did on um tv so far this year and i'm going to try to write something about fleabag season two which is a masterpiece i just don't have the time people um but in terms of where you can find me you can find me talking about celebrities i find hot on on twitter at matt and matthew one you can follow me on letterboxd at matt t um and yeah thank you for listening to this to this really fun season Cannot wait to see you um listeners (laughs) can't wait for you all to listen in again on season two uh all right